Hey, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Now, I'm going to once again say we are all in this together, and I know it's really hard not leaving your house. Uh, the only reason why I can continue to do this podcast is because my studio has now is now and has always been in my house. Now it's slightly farther away from my bed, which I'm happy about, but it's always been in my house. Um, and on that note. I have had a um agreement with my wire box, my box of cables, which I believe every human at some point has in their life. Um and I found the cable to charge my rechargeable batteries, which means I will finally get to use my big fancy studio headphones once again at some point. Except I opened up my big fancy studio headphones and there were no rechargeable batteries there, so I will probably find them by next week. <laughs> but, you know, the, the last of the moving mysteries w- shall be solved. Um, and <laughs> if you're still listening, um, <laughs> after that moment. But um, thank you to for listening to the episode that me and Alan recorded on Fire Force. We had a lot of fun doing that. It was nice to like see another human that was not like blood related to us or involved with us in a relationship. Um even if it was through a screen, um <laughs> in like off air we were like, we should do stuff when doing stuff with other breathing souls is illegal. Um and we might do that at some point. I've also been playing Animal Crossing and getting in touch with old friends and getting a lot of Animal Crossing debt, which is not really debt, it's more just like a structure for the game. Um, but long story short, I went to an old friend's new island and I bought a rug in the shape and texture of the planet Earth from a camel in the night. Um, but yeah, so I've been having fun doing that. If you listen to this and you're like, hey, I want to see your weird island, Alex, um, reach out to me on Twitter. You probably, If you get all of that far, congratulations. Welcome to my weird-ass island. Um, but so on that note, without further ado, I guess we should get into what we're talking about Day and that is Beastars. Thank you. 
So, before we get into Beastars proper, I need to do something that I feel is expected of me at this point. And that is, take a big old dump all over Netflix. Not for just one reason, which is the normal reason, but this time, two reasons. Um, the first one is, if you haven't heard me talk about a Netflix show before on this podcast, I try to not do it a ton because why they do get great traffic on literally everything. Like, people show out and show up to, like, listen to stuff about these shows. Um, it's, it's hard to talk about Netflix shows and feel like you're doing it with any relevance because Netflix holds their shows until they're ready to release them. Um, but... I should note at this point, they do that basically because they believe that's how the anime audience, the anime watching crowd will watch their shows most intently. I would imagine they have some insight of like drop off or like something like that from other streaming services that their betting happens. They don't want to happen with their shows. They want like maximum eyeballs or whatever the fuck. But what that does is it it kneecaps shows and makes that it makes the like act of watching them as they come out not possible. So in, and also it it drives people to piracy. So you know, I, uh, back when Carol and Tuesday was first coming out, you'd go on Twitter and you'd see some funky shit about Carol and Tuesday, boy. And you'd be like, I, should I, like, jump across, to, should I sail the high seas now and watch this, or should I wait so I can, like, watch it all at my own pace? And generally, I choose to wait and watch it all at my own pace because, A, piracy does nobody any good. Um, it introduces your, com- opens your computer up to a whole bunch of bullshit, and also, it it doesn't do number it doesn't count as number towards whatever the show that you are watching needs to be have more of it produced now generally speaking a netflix show will get two seasons no matter fucking what unless it's real bad um but that doesn't mean that you know the studio doesn't want to have numbers back about who's seen stuff Sorry, it's it's um, it's bourbon drinking time, um, but with Netflix holding them in what people have come to affectionately refer to as Netflix jail, it means that many times, as with a show like Cocky like Cocky like Gurley, and arguably Cocky Gurley season two, the like life cycle of a show can completely happen before it comes out on Netflix to the rest of the population. And I realize that anime fans, especially anime fans, who will, like, go and find something on the internet, sight sight unseen, just because they want to watch that thing, just because they're like, oh, sexy gambling nightmare people, let's let's go, are a relatively small set of Netflix's overall viewer base. And when they... When they sign up for a show, when they sign a show, I'd imagine they're thinking of two sides of an, of two sections of an audience, and one is definitely the niche audience. I mean, you don't you don't make a purchase like Evangelion and not think we're doing this for the niche weirdos, but you also don't make a purchase for, like Evangelion and not think. This is a seminal work of anime. If we want to play in this space, and if we want people to watch more anime, we buy this thing, and we, like, granted, fuck it up on the technical end. I mean, like, the only way that thing could have been more audio, auditorially more, like, cursed is if they just somehow didn't get the rights to Cruel Angel Ceases. And 
like the, a, univor a universe crime and at literally everybody who pushes play on that show is just like, well, we failed. We're not going to watch the rest of this. This is, this is cursed now. Um, they had other like weird fucking translation bullshit. They had, um, what's it called? Um, weird subtitling concepts, like deeply bizarre. Like you have to turn some things off sometimes, some things, some things on other times. It was, it was weird. But, um, so what I'm trying to say is that Netflix has a playing baseball by different, by the rules of basketball scenario going on with their licensing of anime. And also, despite what they would have you think, they're not creating this stuff. They are on the production committee and part of the licensing and, and part of the licensing scenario for this stuff. They contribute might have something to have something produced and then they license it after the fact. It, they they are not helping to create this thing. They are not hand they are not like hands on pencil drawing keyframes at any point. Not or in between at any point. Certainly not in between. Um and so when they say Netflix original, that can mean a whole host of things. But um that's neither here nor there. So without further ado, let's get into B stars. So when this thing was first Hey, so uh, before before we get into B stars, actually, I wanna note a trend, and that is like the industry is making big, wide maneuver turns towards certain things. Like um, last season, there was this big turn. Like, hey, we care about firefighter now, and this season, and like this stuff coming out now, like. B stars and brand new animal, the new the new trigger anime have a real furry bend to them. <laughs> I just find it weird that there's like really noticeable trends that like big fancy studios are snapping onto. Um, but so B stars is done by Studio Orange, and Studio Orange did the like. The, like, lone, beautiful example, maybe, except for Expelled from Paradise, which I know I did an episode from, of, about, in the podcast feed somewhere you can find. Um, they're the lone, like, shining example of, this is how you do amazing, beautiful-looking CG. And one of the ways that they do CG that's different from a studio, pol a studio polygon is they don't cut frames. And what I mean by cutting frames is CG runs, CGI runs at, uh, can, can run at up to 60 frames per second. And that's possible because you have the computer rendering out, not someone doing something by hand. Typically, uh, if you have a sak like a sakuga scene in an anime or a, a, like a moment when an animator goes all out for a specific set cut of animation like a sakuga cut lots of people call it you have someone animating on what's called the twos and that means they are going from 24 frames per second to 2 frames per second um they're they're increasing the amount of drawings they have. I know I did the math backwards there. They're increasing the amount of drawings that they're putting into the animation, which makes the animation feel more fluid and a lot more lifelike, and gives them a lot more room to like really go for it than just doing this typical twenty-four frames per second kind of thing. And in an effort to not mimic like the Sakuga moments, but mimic 
traditional animation, lots of CGI studios have chosen to cut animation, who have chosen to do what's called cutting frames. And I'll explain why I'm talking about this in a minute. Um, they've chosen to do what's called cutting frames, which means they're dropping frames out of the animation to make it feel more handmade. But what that translates to is this like clunky, like stop and start of an animation that doesn't that doesn't feel good to watch. Um, Studio Orange also avoids the Nightmare Hellscape esque fucking disaster, beautiful nightmare um, scenario of W's and handshakers. Which, if you've never seen handshakers. I'm sorry, because um, <laughs> you'll probably go look that up. You're like, fucking, what is this handshake nonsense? Everybody keeps talking about it like it's a pox on God. And it is. It, it, it was so badly visually handled that you can get literally sick from watching it. Like, it is a thing. If you watch that thing for long enough, it will make you like an equivalent of, it will make you motion sick. Um, but, or can make emotion sick, rather. But the reason why I'm talking about this is because with Studio Orange, um, achieved with, um, oh, what was their show? Um, what Studio Orange achieved with their first show, and what they now achieve with this show, they achieve a kind of subtlety of movement that is really helpful to storytelling and allows them to do things with their storytelling that uh, a show that's intentionally dropping frames can't. Um, and it shows because in a show like um, Knights of Sidonia, you feel like you're struggling against the animation to um to you feel like you're struggling against the anim the animation to um to to get to like get into the story and granted i know a lot i know that um that I, I I know I know that I wasn't the biggest fan of Nice Sidonia because they did the like weird gender bending depending on which person I fall for bullshit. And I was like I just literally I checked I checked all the way out of that one from like episode two or something. I was like, fuck. Nope. Um and that's not really Anybody's fault, it just wasn't my cup of tea. That doesn't mean you're necessarily bad like you're necessarily a bad person for liking that show, I promise. Um but it, when you don't have to struggle against the animation and when the animation actively helps a story along and act, actively helps ha like you give a physicality and physical personality to characters you can use that as another, like, arrow in your quiver of storytelling, basically. And if you've ever seen any of their first show, which I just looked up, called Land of the Lustrous, back from, from back in 2017, you know what I'm talking about. You only need to see, like, uh, one scene, maybe two scenes from that show to feel how those characters are and how they move and like that they they feel like they're really made of gemstones like they're really made of rocks and Beastars does that really well too because they're using because they made this show gorgeous and because they're using the like full range of the medium of CG, you get this, you get the all the characters, like Haru, and like Mabushi, and like Rui, all 
feel like they're animals in some way. Even in Mabuchi's, like, trying to blend into the backgroundness, he feels like a downtrodden wolf. Haru feels like a physically small rabbit. Um, what's it called? Rui feels like a deer. His horns feel like they have presence and like he's aware of them constantly. Um, and that's that's really a that's really a credit to Studio Orange and what they can do with CG with CGI that is really difficult to to do even with traditional animation. I mean, so did a um this is an old animate this is an old Alex who who trained as an animator saying, but there's a old um when you start animating and when you like finally get to like put pen on paper and you get to draw three you, you get the first exercise you always get is you get the bouncing ball because it's a fucking circle and you make it go up and down. And as long as it goes up and down and it feels like it has weight, you've done it. <laughs> Congratulations. But it's key that that feels like it has weight, that it feels like impact on the ground. It can not have any squash like a marble or it can have a lot of squash like a rubber ball, but it needs to feel like it impacts on the ground. The next thing you do is you, that you do is a Walt is an old Walt Disney um, animator um, is an old Walt Disney kind of like animator um, lesson, and lots of times it's a bat, it's a pillow or a bag of flour, and you're supposed to make it walk. And you've probably seen this if you've seen old Walt Disney animation stuff. And it's like a walking bag of flour. But what you have to do is you have to decide like where the flour is in the bag. You have to decide all these things. You have to give it weight. You have to give it meaning. You have to give it physicality. The One of the more impressive parts of Beastars is that it gives all of its characters very specific physicality and very specific ranges of movement and like fits them in the space really well. Maboshi is a gray wolf, and gray wolf's a really long, lanky, like, dogs, basically. So they make him really big in reference to every other... every other, like, character on the stage. Like, every other character on the stage. Uh, like, on screen many times. So, like... If he's on the screen with Rui, who's a deer, he's bigger than he's still he's maybe close to the same height as Rui, but he's still maybe a foot taller. But if if he's on the screen with Haru, Haru is like damn near two feet tall, and he's damn near seven feet tall, and like you feel, and he like hunches, and at many points he gets down. Like, walk down and, like, holds his knees so he can look her in the eye and talk to her. Because the other thing about Beastars is, I think when the preview came out, lots of people were anticipating it to be this, like, Zootopia-esque thing. And this, like, much more grand vision than it a little ended up as. It still has elements of both of the... a really grand vision, and it's also, it's, I should note, it's not done. They split it into Tuesday, have another season coming. But, um, basically, it has some of the utopia elements in that it's, pre- in that it's, instead of predators and prey, it's, um, herbivores and carnivores. Um, they do get into an omnivore at some point, at one point, with, um, Dr. Panda Badass, who I forget his name, but he's, like, my favorite character. Um, but they, much of the show is about the dynamic of carnivores eating other animals. And this being a world 
were like anthropomorphized animals like live in a society alongside each other. So it takes place, I forget the school's name, but the school really isn't important. Um, it takes place in this like prestigious high school setting. And it is, it is like 900% a like romantic, teenage romantic drama. But what they do with it is they play with the, like, they stretch out the concept of carnivores and herbivores, and they do all sorts of interesting things with it, because you realize pretty quickly that Mabushi is in love with Haru, and Mabushi is a big-ass gray wolf. And Haru is a tiny, tiny, tiny dwarf bunny. And at the beginning of the and in the beginning of the show, you pretty quickly find out that Haru and Rui, the deer, who is in line to become the beast star of the school, which uh, is basically it's a when when an, when a like when an animal person. Get what they call them when an animal person becomes a beast star in this story, they represent the kind of big lies that the story is lets you know it's happening. They let you know that everybody it's they're like their job is to let you know that everybody can coexist, and so Rui wants to become a beast star. So basically so he can prove that he's the strongest because he, you find out by the very end, spoiler alert by the way, um, you can go watch this whole thing on Netflix. You find out by the very end that Rui is or was one of, the, one of these orphan children who has disappeared by a combination of the government and the mafia, which is and the Yakuza, which is a bunch of lions who are lion Yakuza members, which is fucking bananas and the best, um, to be sold on the black market. And the black market is where carnivores go to eat meat so they don't have to stock prey and they don't ultimately go crazy. Because you find out through Mabushi that Mabushi had like a he had a moment of weakness, let's call it. And 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 really that's that that's what the show wants you to understand that it is. It's not that he was giving into like was doing it because he necessarily wanted to. It was a moment of weakness where he stalked and attempted to kill, and almost did kill, Haru. And it's like the one of the first scenes of the show and the show spends the entire the entire 12 um the, the entire run of the first season minus the last maybe 15 minutes um examining the idea that exam with Mabuchi exam trying to figure out whether or not he wants Haru for himself because he wants to eat her, or he wants Haru for himself because he's in love with her. Ultimately, it comes down on the side of him being in love with her. But they have this, and and Haru and Haru like admits to herself and realizes that she's in love with him. Um and then their animal instincts are still there. And they have to figure out how to move past that. And that's where the show leaves off with those two characters. They also introduce um, a female gray wolf who is kind of picked to be the like romantic foil for Mabushi. And he... And she, 
she is revealed to be a real like a a power a Juno is her name. Um, she she's basically revealed to be a social climber, and her goal is to become a, a is to become a B, a B star, so she can restore the um the reputation of all carnivores. At, but the thing that's interesting about her is, at least at the point they leave off in the story. It's not that she wants to like create a carnivore ruled universe where they can just eat anyone they please. She wants to actually restore their um, status because somebody you don't know who maybe the Lion Mafia who knows we'll get to them in a second has been hunting down and eating herbivores and it's been showing up on the news. Now, I've mentioned a couple times, there is a li uh, Yakuza group consisting entirely of lions. And it's very clear to <laughs> the entire universe of the show that lions are like super predators <laughs> and are not to be trusted. But the other thing about this show is that the mayor of the city of like the their version of the mayor of the city, just like in Zootopia, which I, I will be the first to admit, this clearly takes a lot of cues from Zootopia. But it's that's not it's that's not its only goal, it's not telling the same story as Zootopia. It's telling a very individualistic story instead of a very um community-based story. Zootopia is about a community trying to move past prejudice and all this stuff and the, like, wrinkles that come... the Like, wrinkles of racism that come up in that bullshit. Um, because Zootopia is about race. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, it just is. But V-Stars is about... Or, be, or at least by the end of this first season, was about two people trying to overcome their own shit to be with each other. And they're not there yet. And it was about the world getting in the way of that. And now, it has conversations about all kinds of things through the allegory of, you know, predator and prey and nature and all this shit. It has a conversation about power derived from sexuality when it comes when it comes to Haru's storyline. It has a power. It has a conversation about not being your real self because of the kind of judgment it can bring with Mabushi. It has a conversation about putting up a front and pretending to be strong and not allowing yourself to show weakness so you can, you know, climb all the way to the top of the ladder in um, Rui. And so I'm usually not somebody who, like, falls for a little, like, everybody puts so much pressure on me kind of character. Um, if you If you're watching... Traditional television, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, and you're watching Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. A, good-ass show. B, the character on there who's like, my brother the hedge fund manager, my parents work in tech. I have so much pressure on me all the time. And like he's like, that's what drives me to be a dickbag? That doesn't... That doesn't oh that doesn't usually fly with me because that's like that that's a manifest choice that that person made or that character made. I'm not gonna feel bad for you. I don't feel bad for Rui, but I understand it. He wants to 
he wants to be the strongest he can so he can write the universe because he has an awareness of the fact that a distinct personal awareness of the fact that animal young animal people are being abducted in mass and sold as livestock to a section of the population of this world city. And he wants to do his best to stop that. And there's a moment at the end of the show, at the, at the tail end of the show, where he's like, Haru, the girl who he, who he loves but won't let himself say he loves because he's betrothed and like his whole life has been set up around him to make sure he succeeds at the goal of like, you know, riding the ship. When Haru's kidnapped by li- by the lion Yakuza, uh, he goes to Mary and he says, like, we have to do something. And the mayor says, "What we... And, and, and this is a moment that I really like in the show because it was the mayor confronting the reality as well for the first time in a way that really struck him. Because I should say, the mayor is a lion, so exposing... The lion Yakuza would, like, damage him as well because he's also a lion and that's the way this show goes. Um, and they make it very clear throughout the whole show that all the, pred- all the carnivores in the show are very aware of the way they're seen. Um, the only... The only herbivore in the show who seems to... The only two herbivores in the show that seem to truly demonstrate the same awareness are Rui and Haru. And in Rui's case, it's because he realizes, like, I was born and I was almost sold into, you know, as livestock to be eaten. In Haru's case... Her parents, like, ground into her the fact that dwarf rabbits never live that long. They always die. The the best thing you can hope for is that you're happy before you die. And the way she takes, the way Haru takes that is she, and I'll get back to Lion Mare in a second. Um, The way Haru takes that is... She started to try, try and just min- manipulate people's emotions because she realized that she's small and she's cute and people will just be nice to her if she's like doe-eyed looks at them. Kind of like um the girl, the deer, kind of like the deer character from um that Sanrio show. About the office, Red Panda office worker. Oh, oh kind of like the dear girl from um, Agresco. And if I had to pick like an anthropomorphized animal show that this has more in common with, it's probably um, Agresco because. This show isn't interested in how society necessarily deals with um, the predator and prey issue. It's interested in how it's interested in how each character deals with it individually, and it. Puts, and it puts on certain characters, like the Lion Mare, that in order for stuff to cha- to start to change, they need to be the one who changes it. They're the first domino to fall, basically. And when the Lion Mare is like, look, these things happen, there's nothing we can do. I'm sorry you cared about her, but she's gone. Like she was already dead. It initially, really accepts it, because... It, 
the universe has been guiding him towards being more than he is for his entire so for so long that it is a lot for him to break from that. But for Mabushi, who at that point in the show has come come to understand that what the reason why he cares about Haru is not because she's a dwarf rabbit and he wants to eat her. It's because he truly loves her. Is completely tired of doing what everybody else expects him to do. Completely tired of... So, I think it's the best way I can explain the way Haru... Uh, um, not Haru... Um, Mabushi acts around other people is um what's the what's the phrase uh, it's um not context um it, it, the, 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 I forget what it's called exactly um but it's it's when um Black people, it's when black, a black person switches the way they talk according to the kinds of people they, they're with. Black. And it's, um, I, th I think it's called like, it's like, um, not tone switching, but it's, 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 um, kind of, it's, the same concept, almost like tone switching, and that's what—that's essentially what Mabushi does, and it's, um, it's something I'm really familiar with because something I do all the time with people, with people, and it's, um, it, it's a really. It's a really unique thing to to what I would refer to myself as, which is a high-functioning disabled person, which is, if you ever meet me in person, I make every accommodation myself so you don't have to acknowledge the fact that my left arm doesn't work and I'm wearing a leg brace on my left leg. If you met me in the right season and in the right style of clothing, there's a fair chance you wouldn't ever guess. Um, my favorite story of this is, um, is, um, is I was going to a bar once a long time ago when I still used to go to bars, not like, not like a month ago. I'm not talking about before the pandemic, but I'm talking about a couple, a, a bunch of years ago now. And code switching is what it's called. Code switching is the right terminology. I was there with, I was there, <laughs> but I went. I went to a bar, and it was cold outside, and it was like, it was like maybe early December or something, maybe late October. And I was in like a puffy coat and I had my left hand, my hand that does not work very well, in my pocket. I went up to the bouncer. And typically when you have your hand in your pocket, nobody, nobody, I guarantee you if you have one hand in your pocket and you're doing everything with the other hand, people's brains just fill in, dominant hand, don't ask questions. This guy, however, said like, hey man, you should really take your hand out of your pocket. It looks like a pack and heat. I'm like... And I, I shouldn't have leaned into this as much. I didn't even really think about it. I didn't realize how bad I was going to make this dude feel. But in, in fairness, tough shit. I reached into, I like pulled my left hand. Like, I don't really think I could pack anything in this hand. I saw this guy go white as a sheet. And it's like... It, it, that's probably the best way I can demonstrate exactly how much I allow people who see me to get away with ignoring the fact that I'm disabled. 
in the same way Mabushi acts the way he does so he can allow people to look past the fact that he's a carnivore. That <laughs> There's even a moment in the class where in this show very early on, like maybe second episode, where he 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 was friends with a guy who I think was a sheep. And which in itself is significant because of the like allegory there. And the guy never got to confess to the girl he loved. And so he did it for he did it for him. And he was like, you know, like my friend never got to confess to you before he di- before he got eaten and died. I'm sorry, here's the letter he meant to give you. And he goes and at first the girl's like, this is fucking weird. You're a weirdo. Thanks, I guess. And then she sees him genuinely, like, he's laying flowers at his at his friend's grave. And she comes up to him later and she says, you know, you're a good carnivore. And in, like, a very, you know, you're one of the good ones. Which, like... It's like ringing all kinds of fucking racist bells in my brain. And I felt bad. Like, thinking about it again, I feel bad. Because that's not why he did it. He did, he did, bo- he did both the giving of the confession letter and the laying of the flowers at his friend's, you know, memorial site. Not for anybody else, but for him. But for him, but because of the context, who he is places him in. Uh, other people in the world put impose themselves and their own opinions on that stuff. And when I, I'll be honest, when I first watched the show, I you could go find this fucking tweet. I promise. Um, I said like. Hey, does anybody really think that, like, this show is super, super up its own ass with its, like, deep, dark monologuing based on the, like, based on the setting and, like, other parts of the tone of the show? And thinking about it as I'm talking through it, I actually don't think it was. And I didn't think it was by the end of the show either, but I don't. They, it's not the same framing certainly for Mabushi as it is for like black and brown people, but it's it's similar. The thing was that the thing that you can't compare with the two is, you know, carnivores around herbivores are inherently dangerous, but. Given free agency and given a choice and given, like, humanity to all people involved, that can change. And lots of people view the other, not even black or brown or any of that stuff, just the other as a dangerous thing. But, and oftentimes people will think to themselves... Oh, that person did good. That's one of the good ones. Or, oh, this, or, oh, that. They will project something that society has given to, to them onto a character. On, onto, not even a character, but a, another person. For example, lots of veterans hate it when you say, thank you for your service. Because they serve, because oftentimes they've served out of a personal duty for con- to country or as a way to better themselves or something. Some of them didn't even get into the service because they wanted to. It was their last option. That's not uncommon. They did not... Yet they served country. They did not serve you. And once again, this isn't true of all veterans, but it's true of... Enough that you hear those stories. In addition, in the same way 
as a childhood cancer survivor. And I can tell you most of us hate this shit. <laughs> Curve. I do. Um, when someone comes up to me and says, God made you this way for a reason. Basically, that gives me license to say whatever the fuck I want to that person for as long as I feel like it. I was saying that to somebody else who um, brought up the um, veterans thing. And I said, I remember when I was in Camp, when I was in camp Happy Times, which is a, um, sleepway, a one-week-long sleepaway camp that takes place in like the New York metro area for childhood cancer survivors who are treated specifically by a New York metro area um, cancer foundation called the Valerie Fund. And, like, if somebody made the mistake of saying, God made you this way for a reason to one of us on campgrounds, like, the counselors would back away and just be like, you're on your own. There's no, we're not disciplining this kid. You have a lesson to learn. Here you go. And if you, you know, if you came back to that camp as a kind of outsider and not a counselor, um, enough times, you probably learned. This is the thing you don't say. You don't even really think it because they can tell. Um, and that... You're a good one, Mabushi. Has the same compliment without a personal quality to it, and the same underlying assumption about a whole swath of people, or in this case, animal people, a, a, a whole classification of a anybody. And so, that's really what the show felt like it was primarily dealing with, was it was dealing with the place that each character has occupied, that each character has occupied in society. You know, there's, on Haru's angle, on Haru's end, there's this, there's this, She's being tortured by the other herbivore, by the other by the other female herbivores, because they think she's a slut. And when she when she explains how she, why she enjoys having sex with people, and how that relates to the fact that she's a small, bit, very frail creature in the world. And that it makes her feel like they take, like, no matter how big or small her partner is, in, the, in that, in doing those acts, they make her feel like everything is equaled out. Like, her partner has to, has to show vulnerability the same way she shows vulnerability. And it, that, it starts to make a lot of sense to you. And also the, the slight moment of she's a bunny and bunnies love to fuck um it's this it's this really intelligent use of it it's it's a really intelligent use of the allegory to inform to inform the reality of the story and to have conversations about real things that to be fair Zootopia is a great movie it's a great movie about race relations um but it's it's not capable of having conversations like that because it's a kids movie it needs to beat you over the head with the, with the idea of like this is racism racism is bad 
Whereas the where B stars because it's unchained from having to aim for a children's audience only, it can have a conversation about how sex can make women feel powerful, how minorities and people who are intrinsically different have to deal with their what their different not only what their difference means to them but what their difference means to other people uh, another weird moment that i have with this show which i think i've talked about before i'm pretty sure i've talked before, about before on this podcast is in that in like the treatment of mabushi as a predator and the treatment of all the predators it, it reminds me that i'm a i'm mixed race and what that means is to white people, I might be white, but if they have any level of knowledge, they just know I'm not white. They know I'm something, but not straight white. But to black people, I'm black. So there's an element of I am my race is decided for me many times before I even open my mouth. Before I, as soon as a visual of me appears. I'm either white or black, depending on who sees me and depending on what they decide. And I, I know this because I can get into basically any club I want to get into because people are like, oh, that's a black guy. Oh, that's a white guy. It's fine. And the most jarring was when I went... Uh, version of that was when I went club hopping in Atlanta. And Atlanta is a majority black city, which means the majority of people who live there are African American. However, the nightlife is deeply segregated. Um, Maybe with the exception of ye old act, and that's only because it's a standby, and it's a weird fucking unattractive stripper dancing on the bar kind of establishment. It's real and funny. But there, I go into a black club, and, you know, everybody talks to me. And it's, like, I, I'm, I'm comfortable there. I'm fine there. I go into a white club. And it felt racist. <laughs> I hate to say that. I hate to say it, but it did. It was like, oh, the only black person that plays Michael Jackson, only the stuff he did since he was basically a white guy. Um... They play, like, butt rock and bad music in here. I'm leaving. And that awareness of, like, how they're perceived and the attempt to not perceive the other side of the coin as in the same way is very clearly being demonstrated by the carnivores in this show. Carnivores are like cordial. Uh, carnivore, carnivores, at least in the main cast, are generally speaking like respectful. They are kind. They are thoughtful. Um, they don't always do the right thing because they're all teenagers and idiots. But they they're not bad people. The the tiger in the show is not like. He, you know, uses rabbit blood, rabbit's blood to get all huffed up, but he's not the kind of person to kill somebody, at least not yet. I, you know, there's a scene in the show when there's a blackout and only the, only the um, nocturnal carnivores can see anything. And everybody else in the class freaks the fuck out. And they're like, we're fucking blind. And Mabushi's like, don't worry. The Nocturnals will, like, 
keep you safe. And it's like all this stuff put on them that's not... That's not their fault because they were born that way. And when you're presented with um, Dr. Panda McBadass, <laughs> what I'm going to call him, you get this glimpse into how hard Mabushi will have to work in order for the perceived danger of just his existence to fall away. Because, and the, the, the other thing is that it's very clear that many, 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 if not all, of the people in this world have basic animal knowledge on just about every animal they encounter. It's like, because he's, Mabushi says, like, you're a panda. You, you, typically, uh, carnivores just eat meat, but pandas just straight up eat, but pandas can survive only on bamboo. And he's like, how do you do it? <laughs> and it, once again, it's using the allegory to inform the message that they're trying to send. They're basically saying, this guy chose to remove the part of him that would be scary to other, to, to other members of the society. He chose to, like, um, what's the best? He, he chose to code switch. He chooses to code switch so that other people don't feel threatened. He chooses to force his brace maker to make sure that his brace fits into his shoe. So when he goes into an office environment, he doesn't stand out and make people uncomfortable. To, to give you a very real example. Um, but needless to say, I think that... And I've only dived into, like, the, the like... This angle of this show, there's lots of other angles. A great um, listen if you want to listen to more of an exploration of the show is ANN, Anime News Network, did their podcast, ANCAST, did an episode on Beastars, I want to say last week, um, that explores a lot more scenes in it. I don't think... They got into, I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't get into, like, the racial theme of it. That This is very much my read, and it's very much my experience of the show, because it's very much my experience going through the world. But in any case, if you're all interested in the show, it's the entire first season, and it is very clearly the first season of the show, um, is up on Netflix, and you can go find it. It's... It's a weird watch because it's it it's weirdly balanced because it has to be weirdly balanced to go to where it wants to go and to have the conversation it wants to have, but it's totally worth it. So if you are at all interested, I would say, you know, you're probably stuck at home unless you're essential. And if you are essential, I'm sorry and I wish you weren't. I hope that my podcast at least distracts you somehow. Um, but if you're stuck at home, you're looking at something to watch, and you're not quite sure, because you see it and you're like, this looks, this looks like it's not for me, trust me. It just might be. And on that note, my name has been Alex, and you, my, my name is Alex, uh, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And if you like the podcast, you can like and subscribe, leave a five-star review on iTunes or any other podcast app of choice, and I will talk to you next time.
弁護士この夏はどうだったのよ総括してこの夏か追加食い損ねたなえ買いに行かない今から行こうよ一緒におおい行くけどあんまり急がないでくれよわずかでも。